Welcome back to Better Call Jen, a podcast on real estate. Today's episode is another special interview I did with Dayoon from Bestie Abroad Podcast. We dive deep into renting and buying as an international student and expat. And even if you aren't an expat or international student, listen in. I give some great tips on buying and renting. If you have a little bit of money and you you have that like that little spark in you that you want to buy, then get pre-qualified and if it fits your budget, do it. Mm-hmm. Forget about how the market is. The market's always going to go up, the market's always going to go down. Hi friends, welcome to your Bestie Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Dia Yun. I'm an 11 year expat from Beijing, living in the US, working on my PhD on Latin America. I'm your Bestie Abroad, who empowers you to flourish beyond the F1 or H1B, and instead, human better, to belong authentically. I want to normalize the neglected isolation, transition, and identity evolution as a shared human experience, so that border is only where our expansion begins and the bonds never end. Whether you're an international student who just began your adventure, a seasoned expatriate seeking alignment while in transit, or someone who's ready to evoke fulfillment from within, by pressing play, you are listening to your best year abroad, and we walk each other home. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Your Best Year Abroad. So continuing our cancer season talk on the home and family, today I want to talk about the actual home ownership and rentals in finding a place to live uh, when you are living as an expat in the U.S. So I've been living in the U.S. for the past 11 years, and uh, my first time going on the market apartment hunting was actually back in 2017 when I first began my PhD. And um, and that's when I realized that the rental market, the, the paperwork, um, and also the, the process really varies by city and state. And there's a lot of things to learn and pay attention to to get the best deals uh, to prevent from being scammed uh, and just finding a very lovely home that we can we can live. Uh, so today I have a very special guest, Jen, uh, a very dear friend uh, who helped me find uh, my next home in Miami uh, and who's going to walk us through um, some important information and process with home ownership and rental. So Jennifer, uh, my first question for you is that without what you do, who is Jen? Oh gosh, <laughs> I am I'm a very loving and caring person. Um, I am a mom, uh, thankfully, <laughs> after trying so, so hard. Um, I'm a realtor. I am a native Miamian. Um, my family came from Cuba, so I do also consider myself Cuban. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... Yeah, I am. I just try to be a love, loving, happy-go-lucky, <laughs> understanding person that goes into my personal life and into my business. I love that, mm-hmm. and, and I also love that you know how you see yourself is actually very similar to how I see you. So oh, good. The world. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> All my effort is, is is going good then. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> amazing. Um. So. Can you tell us something about Miami that you wish more people know or something you love about this city that 
we don't discuss as much on social media or just in the public discourse. I wish people knew that Miami is an extremely expensive city to live in. I think that um, when people are, are searching where to go, automatically they think places like New York and California are on the top of the list of expensive. I feel like Miami is right there, right next to it. Mm -hmm. And we showcase more, we meaning Miami, not me, showcase more like the glamorous and the, and you know, the, yes, the expensive, but nobody really talks about how expensive it is. So mm -hmm. that's one thing I wish people knew, mm -hmm. you know, especially coming here from the, for the first time. Yeah. And actually Miami now is um, the number one most expensive city in the country. Yeah. Um, we pay. Yep. Yeah, so I think Miami, in a very ironic way, really shows self-worth. Like, Miami really knows how apparently, much. <laughs> apparently, but it's also because we have so many people from everywhere mm -hmm. that decides to come live here, which is wonderful. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the other big positive of Miami. It's one of the things I love the most mm -hmm. of Miami. There's not just one thing, one group of people. It, is, it really is a melting pot. Mm -hmm. And then you can go to different parts throughout Miami and then even find more of that. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. I love it. I mean, I don't know anything else, right? I've never lived anywhere else, so I don't know. I think I'm kind of biased. But you are definitely <laughs> an expert of Miami So because yeah. you work and live here. So I think your perspective on just evolution of Miami as a city now really is trying to mark itself as the new crypto Mm -hmm. central of of the country um but but also at the core really is the diversity and the individuals who build up this place so if someone who's thinking about coming to miami but isn't sure if the expenses are worth it so what is the most beautiful thing about miami for you for me i think the most beautiful part of van there's a lot of things honestly yeah um but I, I think it's the people. Mm -hmm. I think it boils down to the people. And it's not only the ones that were born and raised here, but the people that continue to come here. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a lot of people aren't going to like this comment. But I love that people are coming from New York and that are coming from California. I feel like there's a huge shift in Miami. And it's only getting... I feel like it's only getting better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, it also shows that is quite absorbent mm -hmm. towards different cultures and differences. Um, I think now definitely there's a, some more initiatives, maybe the government, uh, the politicians can do better just to make housing more equitable, for especially for the locals. And they're trying. There's yeah. a lot of programs coming out now, and that's like one of the things that I'm going to be talking about soon on social media. Um, there's a bunch of programs that are already hitting the market where the local government is requiring new developments to have a certain percentage for low income or for medium income, which I think should change things a little bit for some people. Mm -hmm. It is not a cure-all. It's not going to fix everybody because there's not, a, there's not enough space. It's not like they're going to make one gigantic building for everybody. That's not going to happen. But I think it's a good start. At mm -hmm. least they're trying. Absolutely. Yeah. So now let's talk about your professional life. So when did you... Uh, launch venture in the real estate industry and how do you like it? So I fell into real estate completely by accident, which now I see that nothing is by accident, right? But back then it was 1998. I was 18 years old, straight out of high school. 
and I got my first job in real estate by opening up the Miami Herald with a marker and circling the good old fashioned newspaper because back then we still had to go get the our newspaper. The classified. Oh, oh, yeah. And just for the record, I'm only 42. Like I'm not that old, but I just happened to still fall into that little category yeah, yeah, yeah. of we had newspapers, we would circle the classifieds. I called this real estate office in Kendall. I got the interview. I went in. Long story short, they hired me as a part-time secretary mm-hmm. uh, that ended up being a full-time secretary because I got the other girl's job too. So I worked seven days a week. That's all I've known how to do most of my life. I've worked since I'm 14 years old. Wow. And that was separate from my second night job, right? But I loved real estate so much. It took me about six or eight months to from the secretary position to become the manager of the office. And it was a full service real estate office. Mm-hmm. So I was more like behind the scenes, which I loved because I was able to know everything about real estate, right? Not only the buyers or the sellers or the tenants or the landlords, but the agent side, mm-hmm. you know, and how to get these people through the door. I mean, it was a whole teaching moment that I think based my career, right? So I became the manager um, had to leave that office, went into another one, but ended up, <laughs> real estate kept on like just bringing <laughs> me in. It's like, oh, you left there? Okay, great. We'll come here. So by 2004, I met my husband and I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to work for anybody else. And he had his brokerage license. So I told him, you need to open up the company, right? And that way I can work under that company because mm-hmm. as realtors, we need a broker. And then we opened up our own company. And back then we started with I think it was actually originally Jennifer Holmes. Uh-huh. We changed it to the Brow Company because that's our last name. And then nobody knew how to say the Brow. Nobody knows how to say her last name. <laughs> so we went back to Jennifer Holmes and we decided, okay, let's make it Jennifer Holmes Realty. So that's how I fell into real estate. That's all I've done for 22, 24 years. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I've had my moments where I thought I had a different calling in life. Because originally I wanted to be a teacher. Uh-huh. That's what I studied for. Um, and then at some point I was like, well, why don't I just go back to school? And instead of teaching, I want to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. So I always thought something else was out there. And then my husband just quickly reminded me that, listen, you're good at this. <laughs> you're good at this. You have a career. You know, people like you. They keep on coming back to you. Just stick with it. And that's, and I was happy to do it. And I'm still happy to do it. So here I am. Amazing. So you had your uh, your husband, you are, you guys are also business partners. We are. Yeah, he's the broker. Although he doesn't um, work the business like mm-hmm. I do because he's the broker and he's currently still a stay-at-home dad of our four-year-old daughter. Um, but he's still the broker. So, yeah, we are business partners. Amazing. <laughs> wow. So what are – okay, so just in the clientiles that you have worked with back in the 90s all the way till today – um, can you give us maybe just a few snapshots about, you know, how the process of real estate have changed in Miami or just how have um, just the, the, the kind of people who live in Miami changed? So right when I started, um, the type of clients that were coming into our office were mostly because we were in Kendall, were mostly families, mm-hmm. Latin families. Um, just looking mostly to rent because that particular office was dedicated to residential rentals. I later got into sales, but that was like my, my base always was rentals, which is the reason I still do rentals Mm -hmm. because I, it's so dear to my heart. It's the way that I entered into this space. Um, I never want to let that go, (laughs) but anyways, um, 
shortly after that, like in the early 2000s, the our main clientele were U- University of Miami students. That was the majority of mm-hmm. them. Um, and then later it just kind of expanded. Not to say that there wasn't any other type of customers around, but it was just what was coming towards us at that time. Okay, awesome. You know, something I really admire about you is really just your your continuous humility and that sense of aspiration in what you do. Because I think in this market, especially for someone who is already so well established like you, it's very, very easy to lose that humility and get lazy. Oh, yeah. Um, but you're always very responsive. Um, and I think, you know, because we got connected initially because of neutral front, mm-hmm. uh, that was back then when I was interested in home ownership. Mm-hmm. So even just from that initial phone call, you were very generous with your time, your information, your knowledge. Just, just walk me through of home ownership, you know, from, from zero to, to 100. Uh, that really shows your knowledge, but really shows that, you know, like, I think the people can really feel it when the realtors truly has the care Mm, I I think you hit it right there um and thank you by the way because at some at some point in time you know I do have to check myself I have to say hey wait a second like are you wanting to turn this person down or or give them to somebody else like do you you really not have the time or you just don't feel like doing it you know and then I have to remind myself that everybody that calls and everybody that texts and everybody that comes my way is coming my way for a reason Mm -hmm. it's not only because they need to find something like I think that they happen to need me and I don't mean that in a you know like oh I'm so good I'm the best right like I just think that they need me to be able to listen to them and me to be able to walk them through it because there's just not a lot of realtors that do that Absolutely. That, that is the bottom line, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, like, sometimes we may think and say the same thing information, but the same information can go through us in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, and you definitely have that very Capricorn and loving touch yeah. <laughs> in what you do. Right. So now let's get down to, like, your what you are truly, truly very, 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 very good at. So this whole process. So let's begin with the rentals. Uh, so uh, so with looking for an apartment in Miami or in the U.S. in general, is it necessary to get a realtor? And what are some reasons to get one? It is not necessary, or at least here in Miami, it's not necessary. I know that there's other cities and states that, like New York, for example, yes, you have to hire a realtor. I'm pretty sure that's still how it is. It was in the past. Don't mark my words on that. <laughs> um, but here in Miami, I would highly recommend it. Um, it's, it's always better to have a professional on your side, especially if you don't know the area, you don't know exactly what the steps are. Um, it's, it's as if I wake up today, not feeling that great. And I decide to Google my symptoms versus going to the doctor, you know, you're not going to get fully the correct answer, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get that diagnosis that you probably should be getting. Mm -hmm. So I I would highly recommend somebody, if you're looking to rent in Miami, to find a good, knowledgeable realtor. So what are some uh, advantages of working with a realtor? They do all the work for you, or Mm -hmm. they should be at least, right? So the way that I set up my customers, when first we do initial phone call, right? Let's figure out what they're looking for. Uh, budget what areas and why right like when they're looking to move in do they need furnished unfurnished do they have any pets are they here long term are they here short term all those little details Mm -hmm. after we gather all that information I set them up on an automated list so that they start receiving rentals the minute they hit the market which is super important because 
the market is fierce right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's cutthroat. It's like you see something pop up and you need to, you, you, sometimes you don't even have a chance to go see it, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just have to put in the offer, hope you get to see it afterwards. Um, so that would be the first couple of steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the customer starts seeing the properties online that they like, they can text me, they can email me, I don't care, whatever's easier for them. And then I set up the appointments for us. Sometimes they're not even here in Miami, or sometimes they are here in Miami and they can't get out of work, right? Or they can't get out of school. So then I have to go, or I mm-hmm. get to go and take a video for them or FaceTime them so they can try to see it as much as they can in person. So all these steps so far would save one person so much time. Mm-hmm. We have a system, right? We have the MLS system where everything falls into one place. Mm-hmm. If you want to look for something on your own, what are you going to do? You're going to probably go to Zillow and Trulia and Hotpads and Apartments.com. But what a lot of people don't know is that all those sites are linked to our MLS. Mm -hmm. Our MLS is the source of all those sites. So I'm going to one site while you as a consumer are going to like 10. Right. So it's going to take a really long time to do it on your own. Yes, yes. And I think this especially happened in my personal experience this year working with you is that, um, like, I... It might be varying by cities, but I think in Miami, what you get online from those public sites is only a tiny scoop of all the housing sources in yeah. the MLS system. Uh, and actually, from my apartment through, I think my, I initially saw it through your story on Instagram, mm-hmm. right? And actually, I, I don't think I got that MLS email notification until later that afternoon after I. I, I, I saw myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just because right now I think the housing market really is hot, hot, hot in most major cities in the U.S. Uh, I, yeah, I think having that, that realtor right now, there really is that true information gap. Yeah. Uh, versus in the more peaceful times, uh, the, 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 the gap is not as significant. But now with a realtor, they really have many even off-market kind of deals happening. Mm-hmm. And the information is very crucial for renters and buyers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Typically, when I know um, a property is going to come on the market that's my listing, uh, I have like 24 hours where I can spread the word, right, mm-hmm. before it hits the system. And I have a group of realtors that I love working with, right, or even within my office, or my social media, you know, so I just try to tell everybody, hey, this is coming out on the market. Mm-hmm. But if you're not working with a realtor, then you're not, you're just, you're not going to know that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so how to find an agent and uh, what to look for to, to really find a, a trustworthy? Yeah, that's, good that's a good question. So usually first I recommend asking your friends or family what realtor they've used and mm-hmm. how they've liked to use them. Like if, if they were, if they were good, if they were compatible because that's another thing really important if you don't have any friends or family that haven't uh, needed a realtor recently then I would say go on to certain sites that are reliable um, and I know I've already you know thrown out the site Zillow and a lot of realtors hate that site I, I don't I happen to not hate it I don't love it either but I don't hate it but a lot of realtors they have reviews on there mm-hmm. um, so it's a good it's it's a good um, site to at least go check that out. Yeah. There's other sites like Realtor.com also has reviews. Yelp has Realtor reviews. And then the third thing I would do is just call the Realtor mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm looking for a Realtor. I'm looking to rent. This is my criteria. Is it something that you think you can help me with? Right? And, you know, is it something that you've worked with in the past? If you're looking for a specific area, always ask, hey, where do you live? You know, do you live close by? Um, like for example, I live in Coral Gables. I work with all date. I work with all Broward and I even work with West Palm. 
it's a big yeah. area. Yeah. It's a big area. But also I've been doing real estate for long enough where I know all these areas. If you pick a realtor that's been doing real estate for six months mm. and lives in Miami-Dade and you want to live in Broward, probably not your best realtor. Right? right. Because they're not that they're not that knowledgeable in that little local area. Mm-hmm. You know? Unless you don't mind them learning with you. It's not... I'm not going to say that it's a horrible thing either, you know. Maybe they'll even be a better realtor because they're learning something new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, your advice is to, one, ask for referrals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, uh, check their credibility online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then having that phone call. And also keep in mind of their area of expertise slash their location. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, going back to your main question, one of the reasons to use a realtor is because, unfortunately, there's a lot of scams in Miami, I'm sure in general, but you know, you hear about them all the time. Yeah. And we have a site. I hope I'm not going to mess this up. Um, give me a second to think about the correct site, but anyways, you can, Oh, my Florida license. I think mm-hmm. it's myfloridalicense.com. You can check any realtors credentials license mm-hmm. just to know that they're licensed. Yeah. Um, and that'll help. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go that far. Yeah. I've never had anybody call me asking me, Hey, show me proof that you're a realtor. But um, if you want to do it on the side and just make sure that you're working with a professional, you can. Yeah, I mean, like on on, on the, uh, 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 sidebar on on scams, I almost got scammed, but I think I kind of didn't set myself up for success. That's right before I, I came here. Somehow, I just had this fascination of of uh, Craigslist. So <laughs> I, I've used start. that for mm-hmm. years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that's when I found. So you know, so there there's this really fancy condo in Brickell called Icons. So I saw a listing icon. Only for nine hundred dollars for this two bedroom, right? And, oh my God, it's beautiful! And of course, the assets, you know, they are Italian American, and now they are just living in in Italy. Uh, so they just they are they are just looking for a house sitter. Uh, so of course, when I uh, email them, uh, they want me to like pay like whatever money right away. Uh, that's when I just knew it must be like a scam. But yeah, but I think for me, I kind of I, I realized it uh, quick, uh, like yeah, early enough. Before yeah. jumping into it, so but scams are very real, uh, especially in major cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be very very careful there. Uh, so in Miami, uh, is there a fee working with realtor as a renter? No, no, you do not have to pay a realtor their fee. The landlords are the ones who pay the real estate fees currently. And what happens? The interesting part is, which I, I find to be great, right on the tenant side, is that. If I'm helping you as a tenant and the landlord's paying me, I'm not representing the landlord. We're actually, technically, we're transaction brokers. We don't represent anybody. Mm -hmm. We're right in the middle. Mm -hmm. But at least it's nice to know that I'm really on your side as a as a tenant. You know, and I'm gonna try to get you the best deal possible. But yeah, to answer your question. The tenants should not be paying any real estate fees. Yeah, so there's actually nothing to lose for, no. for tenants to, to work with a realtor. No, right? Yeah, not at all. Yeah, and going back to like how to find a good one, I think I'm just thinking about the people who are really moving countries for the first time, looking for a place in Miami, either as international students or and and young professional. Uh, for international students, your uh, university's residential life office should have usually have an off campus. Uh, portal uh, and they usually will give you some recommendations of credible realtors and uh, I think most companies their HR or just with your colleagues uh, those will be your uh, go-to person to get some referrals uh, I, I definitely do believe 
that that the kind of offline person connections, especially if this person has worked with a realtor, uh, it just really uh, helps you to screen out uh, the people who are not really taking this job too seriously uh, and who can really deliver the results that that you want. So now let's uh, so in terms of people who are foreign, either on a student visa or on a work visa, what are some necessary paperwork that they need to go for a rental? So highly recommend that you have proof that you are coming to this country legally, right? So I always ask for a copy. Um, so by proof, we're talking about passports, visa. Passports, visa. You're going to need it to apply for an apartment anyways, right? I mean, mind you, if you call me and you're an international student, I'm not asking you for this up front, right? <laughs> you don't need to give it to me that day. I just need it by the time you go apply to a an apartment, a mm-hmm. condo, a house, so it's good to have it available. So a copy of your visa, a copy of your passport, and then any letter that you might have as to why you're coming here. Are you coming for work? If you're coming for work, do you already have a job? Uh, do you have a letter of employment? Mm-hmm. Do you have your first pay stub already? That's everything that you should gather and be able to provide. If it's school, no problem. Same thing. Your letter of acceptance from the school stating when you're going to start. And then if you have any financial aid or any funds that are coming towards you, same thing. Have that uh, copy of it readily available so that we can provide the proof of your source of income. Mm-hmm. Um, is credit score reports necessary? No, but it is definitely preferred. When you don't have a credit score, a landlord can't um, take you to court and evict you the proper way. Um, so landlords tend to see that if you have a social, they tend to accept offers like that more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have ways around that. <laughs> right. So um, unfortunately, sometimes the international students, they need to prepay a lot of rent. You know, So instead of your typical first, last security, we would have to prepay six months up front, you know, plus the security, sometimes the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the extreme cases, but I would tell people be ready for it. You know, If you can financially do it, then present the offer that way. If you can't do it, then don't do it. We keep on trying until we find the place that says yes. Somebody's going to say yes. Right. Okay. I see. So uh, credit score and social security, they are not a deal breaker, although they are important. Yes. Uh, But the essential documents are pretty much ID, identification, visa, anything that proves legal residence in the U.S., uh, financial uh, resources, and I think you said something else. Oh, and also why you are here, your sponsorship. Yeah. Right, from, from employment and education, correct? The main thing that a landlord's going to want to see is that you can pay your rent. Mm-hmm. They want to know that you can pay your rent and that you're going to pay it on time. That really is the ultimate. When we're presenting an offer, that's what we want the landlord to know. Mm-hmm. And these people are, you know, whoever's applying. They're respectful. They're clean. They, you know, they have good rental history. Maybe not here in the U.S., but where they live. And sometimes that's not the case, right? Because we get a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds coming. And that's okay, too. At that point, we ask for the parents to co-sign, you know, or to ask as a, act as a guarantor or to even write their own letter saying, hey, I support my son or daughter financially. And if something happens, you know, you can... Come after me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. Uh, And you covered this briefly. So the financial commitment uh, for a rental agreement, in Miami at least, is first month, last month, and security deposit. That's equivalent of the monthly rental price, correct? Yes. Yeah. So total three months. Sometimes landlords will break that up differently, and they'll ask for first month's rent and two months' security. So it's not something to be alarmed of. 
Um, that just means that typically they've had a bad experience in the past, right? And they want to hold on to more money just in case you do something to the apartment mm -hmm. or if it's like a fully furnished place. So, you know, having more money on the landlord side, again, in case they have to replace something makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. So, but total three months uh, is the norm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this, I think my, I think especially for the listeners who are on special visas, like a diplomatic visa, uh, I have some friends who work for the UN international organizations in New York and DC, and unfortunately, they do have to pay six months upfront because the visa is special because owners cannot really hold you accountable. Yeah. If you ever break the law. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so so uh, it varies by city, also varies by your per individual case there, um, and in terms of security deposit, uh, what are some fair versus unfair deductions? How can tenants know their right when landlords wants to keep some part of the money? That's a really good question. So I'm going to start off by saying that when, if and when you get to that point where, where a landlord has not returned your deposit, yes, you're going to try to do everything you know that you can do just by yourself, but I highly recommend getting a real estate attorney to also advise you on how to handle things. Um, what I usually recommend when somebody moves into a rental is you take a really good detailed video that day of your walkthrough, right? Or immediately after. You can either hold on to it or you can even better send it in a group email, right? To your realtor, to the landlord, to every all the parties involved. And you know, you can also take advantage of do it like a welcome email, right? Like say, thank you so much. I can't wait to spend the next year here, blah, blah, blah. This is the video that I just took of the apartment and the current condition that it's in. And when I say a video, it's going to be lengthy, okay? Mm -hmm. Like don't zoom around. You want to look at details on the floor. You want to look for cracks in tiles, scratches in the wood floor, holes in the wall. You know, sometimes people put artwork and they have a little pin in there. Little things and big things. If they're, if it was dirty, you know, because sometimes owners don't turn over the units clean, whatever it may be. Document everything. Do the same thing upon your exit. Now, the lease, basically, the, the standard lease here is going to state that you need to turn over a unit in the same condition minus normal wear and tear. So that normal wear and tear <laughs> sometimes <laughs> becomes very broad, right? Yeah. It's like, well, what's cleanliness to one person? versus the other right and i think that's why it's so important to have those videos documenting so that you can show proof well hey that hole was there so mm -hmm. i'm leaving it there right yeah oh there was a little bit of mildew in the corner of the bathroom so i'm gonna leave that there for you you know <laughs> yeah. things like that yeah. so what was the original question i don't want to forget anything. just what are some fair versus unfair okay. deductions okay um, so I guess I covered more like what to do to make sure that you get your deposit back. Right. Yes, that's very important. Yes. So I recently had um, a tenant move out of a condo that was, it's carpet throughout. And when I went to visit a few months ago to show it to re-rent it, I noticed that the entrance of the door had like a square cut out of the carpet. And then she had just put like a area rug over it and you know of course i'm gonna see it i walk right past it when i enter yes. the door and i thought well, that's weird and then i realized that she has a little dog so i figured her dog must have scratched up the carpet you know there were scratches on the door so anyways i even though it's not part of my job but i texted her and i was like look fyi you're moving out in a few months i would i would strongly recommend getting that carpet fixed and getting the wall cleaned up mm -hmm. If the owner would have 
seen it in that condition on the day of move-in, she would have had the right to deduct whatever it was going to cost to replace that carpet mm -hmm. and to repaint the door or to replace the door, whatever she saw fit. So for things like that, just cover it yourself so that they're not taking it away from your deposit. If you rent a unit and it is freshly painted, you got to give it back freshly painted. Minus normal wear and tear, which I would consider like super minor things, minor, minor scuffs, right? Very minor. Like a, like a little like nail hole holding a Like canvas. even if it's, if it's a nail hole, you need to patch that up. Mm. You, you okay. should patch it. I would, I would highly recommend that you do. Like I wouldn't give the landlord any reason to try to take any of the security deposit. Right. Because whatever you're not doing, then they have to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the worst part is that when they have to do it, they get mad about it. Because yeah. most landlords in Miami don't want to be landlords, right? <laughs> so they have, they're annoyed that they have to make three phone calls. One to the carpet people, one to the cleaning people, one to the painters. And they're not making money off this. Mm -hmm. They're just paying people out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, like, I have been very lucky that I pretty much got all my deposits back in the back within 24 hours. Great. Um, That's unheard of. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, really, really quickly. And uh, I think some contracts would mark one week as a turnaround time, but I think uh, according to the law, that's 30 days mm -hmm. after your, your, your determination of the, the contract for the owner to return deposit, yeah. correct? Um, what was my thing? Yeah, but I think if, uh, if you ever, for, for our listeners, ever have to have your security deposit deducted, which happened to me once, but that was because I left this little wooden... Uh, coffee table overnight on the balcony and it rained oh. so there were some damages there uh but uh the owner was very kind so he pretty much just asked for the very same thing he gave me a quote gave me a screenshot from amazon and um yeah so he deducted exact that amount uh, from my my security so i think that's an example of a fair deduction mm -hmm. that both of you guys agree that this happened and it was because of your um negligence uh in, in the in the in the process um but i also have had friends who never once got their deposit back. And apparently that is not a unheard of kind of thing in Miami. Yeah. Uh, so in that kind of kind of thing, I say, yeah, just hear Jen's advice and just get yourself a real estate attorney. Um, but I think that, that the attorney fee can also be another challenge for our very young and, yeah, just young and newcomers in Miami. Yeah. Right? No, I hear you. And sometimes it's as simple as having an attorney draft a letter mm -hmm. on your behalf. And that potentially could be worth, like, let's say now rentals in Miami are so expensive, right? Like, how about if you live in a one-bedroom in Brickell for $3,000? Oh, yeah. You know, giving an attorney a couple hundred bucks mm -hmm. might be worth the return of, the security of your deposit. funds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you have any other uh, either common mistakes or just common patterns that you see among international renters in Miami they want to share before we move on to home ownership? I would say um, good line of communication with your landlord throughout your lease is important. Like, don't ever think that you're going to be annoying, you know, or that you're bothering them. At the end of the day, it's their property. Mm -hmm. You just happen to be staying there for six months, a year, or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, the way that I like to handle things is whether it's little things or big things, talk to your landlord, send them a text, send them an email. Hey, look, FYI, this is what's happening. It doesn't bother me. I'm not asking you to repair it. 
just wanted to let you know. Yeah. And that way, they're informed. Because if you're not telling them what's happening in the apartment, they have no idea. They don't have video <laughs> cameras in there, okay? Yeah. You know, and they're, I don't know if they have psychic abilities or not, but, like, <laughs> if they don't know, yeah. then you're the only person to be able to relay that information. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to call them over a light bulb, obviously. Change the light bulb. Your yeah. smoke detectors go off. Change the battery. But anything else, you got to just let them know. Mm-hmm. And then they can handle it how they want to handle yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, my personal, just one more thing to add is read your contract from front to back. Mm-hmm. Read it. Usually, the rental agreement, uh, it can be, you know, like, 10-ish pages long. Do read all of them uh, because there are very detailed parts about what repairs and damages uh, and the fees are tenants' responsibility versus the owner's. Uh, and also the turnaround times, things like when the owner has to return a deposit to you and just other different rules on their property. Do you read them before signing and keep a copy with you uh, in case you forget? Um, because uh, this whole rental thing, uh, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, even though they we're paying rent and stuff, but I think it, it's really someone else's property at your own hand. Take good care of it. Show some respect, um, and uh, yeah, just make the year uh, comfortable for for both yourself and uh, the owner of, mm-hmm. of the place. Awesome. So now let's talk about home ownership. I think it's a it's actually a pretty complex process for everyone. But let's uh, so yeah. So let's walk through the process for our international listeners who are interested in buying a home in the U.S. What does the process look like? So it's very similar to if, if you lived in the U.S., with the exception of, like, there's just special programs that you can apply for that you would be able to qualify for. Um, and on that note, I actually think that we should connect with the mortgage broker that I work with a lot, Miriam Gilmore. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. Um, I'm sure. Miriam, I'm sorry. I'm sure she's going to want to love to record an episode with you. <laughs> hey, Miriam. <laughs> I'm already telling her to do it. <laughs> Because the interesting part is that in if you're purchasing a property, there's the financing part, right? And then there's the actual finding the property part. I'm finding the property part. I'm not the financial part. Mm-hmm. Miriam would be, right? Or okay. a lender. So she would be able to better explain the type of programs that there are, what type of down payments you need to give depending on why you're coming here. Are you coming here to open up a business? Are you coming here as... A retired person are you bringing in funds here you know because the the city's gonna want to see that you're bringing something mm-hmm. right in order for them to say okay here I will I'm going to give you money to purchase a place yeah but on on the finding the property side that's the same mm-hmm. same almost the same as rentals right right we try to figure out what you're looking for uh, what budget you've created and some people come with cash mm-hmm like, we don't even have to worry about the financing part, and that's okay. Right. Um, and with the current market, uh, is pre-approval essential to see the home yes. and begin? Yes, yeah. always. Even yeah. before this crazy market, I would highly recommend it. Um, do you mind if I give your you as your example? Yeah, sure, sure. So when we first started chatting, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly... Um, I was looking for a one-bedroom. I was looking for a condo. Right. Um, um, but I think my biggest obstacle really was the financing part. Right. Um, that, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, can you help our listeners to, to understand and define what is a pre-approval? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So a pre-approval is when you speak to a lender or a mortgage broker and you're going to give them your financial information 
um, along with your credit information if it applies. Mm -hmm. And they're going to look at different ratios, like what your debt is and what your income is. They're going to look at your credit, what, where you have money and how much of it, and um, what consistent funds you have in your account for mm -hmm. 12 months, 24 months, etc. And then they're going to be able to give you a breakdown of, okay, this bank, is going to lend you X amount based on all this information. Yeah. That's a pre-approval. Mm -hmm. So now you know you can go with that letter to a realtor and say, hey, I'm pre-approved. Let's just throw out a number of 500000 Go find me a property. Right. And does, a pre does getting that pre-approval involve any fees and costs on the person? No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Like with Miriam, she sends out a link. I, Miriam, you're going to have to start paying me for this. Um, <laughs> she just sends out a link, yeah. right? And the buyer clicks on it, and you're going to fill in a whole lot of personal information, mm -hmm. right? Um, she, If it applies again, she runs the credit. She looks at all the figures, and usually within 24 to 48 hours, she'll come back to you and give you an answer, and there's nothing costs involved in that. Yeah, awesome. Um, and I think for uh, listeners who are currently on, like, the F1 visa, which is the International Scholar Visa, uh, that's what I am on. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not a impossible thing to do but there's a lot of obstacles so right now i'm not only on f1 i'm also doing my phd so even though i do get paid but uh legally it's categorized as stipends mm -hmm. uh, and the banks do not take stipends as income for some reason and also if you're currently doing your phd or you're in undergrad is you're in a much better position to apply for a loan if you're earlier in your program I'm already approaching the end of my contract. Uh, so I think that was a very big reason why pretty much everybody, both of the big banks and um, and just smaller mortgage brokers, turned me down because mm -hmm. uh, apparently just this just really just doesn't show that I would be uh, staying in the U.S. or having a very steady stream of income right. past my contract. So if you are both undergrad, you are working with your family, or if you are later on your academic career, having your own income, um, if you are thinking about home ownership, start right away when you begin the contract. Um, and I think there are different brokers who really specialize in working with special visas like the F1, and I would definitely hit up Miriam uh, later <laughs> on and just ask her experience there. Um, yeah, so I think F1 is definitely the hardest one to get. Um, but for H1B, that will be a much easier story because you have that visa. Uh, yeah, you have your, your, a very uh, uh, more, more, more friendly kind of visa type. Uh, and, and, but most importantly, you have the income stream. And plus yeah. your contract, your employer can really show that you are a credible individual um, and they can kind of almost like uh, show that they have faith in you mm -hmm. staying in the company for a few years more. Yeah, and those yeah. programs, they seem to have changed recently because I remember when I, we first spoke, we thought that the um, sales price was like 500 and under, I think. And then the program for your visa had changed oh, right, to right, like right. 900,000. Yes, yes. Like, holy moly, yes. <laughs> like double. Right, so there was just this, this, this little visa program called H1B, uh, not H1B. Uh, EB five. That's a investment yeah. kind of uh, whatever visa. I was just curious to, to to explore this information. But back in the days when I was helping a friend to go through the program, uh, it was about you know if you can invest in like five hundred k, um, you can get this kind of special visa and then kind of do uh on, on and then be on the path for green card. Uh, and very recent, I think this happened twenty twenty one. 
Yeah. Um, and now it's at 900K, pretty much doubled the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so if you're interested in, in that route, if you have the, the, the resources at hand, uh, EB5, look into that. Uh, and uh, there are, but you do have to double check with the real estate development to see if they have EB5 uh, quota left mm-hmm. for you to take it. Uh, all right, so now let's go back to like a, a classic question that I had when I was thinking about home ownership is, what's the difference between owning a condo versus owning a single family home? So a single family home, you are purchasing not only the house, but you're also purchasing the lot that the house sits on. So you are a homeowner of everything, mm-hmm. right? The lot and the, and the house. When you purchase a condo, you're actually purchasing air, <laughs> If you think of it, it makes me laugh every time I say it (laughs) because like right now we're sitting in a condo, right? And this is like, this is purchased air. Uh, That is, that is one difference. The second difference is, um, and, and some houses have this, right? But most of them don't. Uh, Condo associations, right? It's a management that rules basically over the entire building. Um, So you have those fees that are a little extra. And actually I want to correct myself. How single-family homes have homeowners associations, right? Condos have condo associations, mm-hmm. but essentially it's the same thing. You're paying a monthly fee uh, for them to collect water, trash. You know, they typically include insurance um, and amenities. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest uh, difference between purchasing a house and purchasing a condo. I would say the other detail is when you purchase a single-family home, you're you can spend less money as a down payment. So like, for example, if you're a veteran, you can buy a house for 0% down, right? You have FHA at 3.5, you can do conventional at 3, 5%, 10%, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with condo associations, especially here in Miami, unfortunately, a lot of condos, they are not financially stable. They don't have reserves, they don't have savings. Um, So lenders see that as a high risk. And because of that, you have to give a larger down payment, Mm -hmm. which is typically 25% down. It's not to say all condos, but if I have to throw out a rough number, it's like 90% of them. It's high high up. And without those special loans, what is the standard down payment amount or percentage for a single-family home? For a single-family home, you know, it depends on the buyer. Um, I have some buyers that they really they've they've tried their best to save up some money and all they have is that three to five percent down and that's what they give. Mm-hmm. Um, we have others that are more flexible with their finances and they tend to give twenty um, percent or more. Mm-hmm. And the reason is if you're getting financed and you finance under twenty percent down, you're going to pay a type of insurance, the PMI. Mm-hmm. Um, couple hundred bucks it's super annoying though because it goes to nothing you know (laughs) it's just like one of those annoying things to pay every month I actually had uh, Instagram uh, customer friend of mine that I sold her a place last year we've been going back and forth for weeks um, because of the PMI she's like Jen I'm so sick and tired of paying this PMI what do I need to do I'm like well either get your loan down to 80% and under she's like no I'm not there yet I go or Find out if you have equity in your home, which I knew she had equity in her home because the market has skyrocketed. And she's like, oh my God, I had no idea. This is great. So she calls her bank. Her bank sends out an appraiser. 
Wow, we're really going off sidebar. I'm sorry. No, you got it. <laughs> the bank sends out an appraiser. The, the appraiser said, yes, in fact, your property is worth more than you owe. Mm-hmm. So the bank did their adjustments and removed her PMI. So now she's saving, I think it's like $181 a month, which she can go save for her next property or for whatever. I don't know. Go have a few martinis a month. It's like at least she has this extra cash that she's not paying towards her PMI. Oh, Wow. Yeah, I mean, home ownership definitely is, um, I mean, the, the brain work doesn't stop no. just at transaction, <laughs> right? There's it's always a learning process. So now, um, instead of asking you a binary question, I want to ask, so taking account of all that inflation in the general economy and also thinking about the, the very dramatic and significant increase in housing market in Miami, what are some... Um, key information that you really hope buyers should know if they are looking to go into the market at, at the current moment? I think the, the main thing to know is the market can change at any time and that should not matter if you want to purchase. If you have a budget and if you're pre-qualified, and all those numbers match, and they fall into place, it's your time to buy. Don't think about what's going to happen to the market in a year or two or five years, as long as it's going to be in your budget. That's if you're looking to buy a home for yourself and live in it, whether it's, you know, whatever, a couple years, 10 years, 20 years, somewhat long term, Mm -hmm. right? If you're an investor, this is not the conversation for you. Mm-hmm. But if you're... If- Mm -hmm. The the, the biggest question is, is how much is it going to go down and is it worth waiting? Or are we the next New York and is it never going to go down? Right. Because this isn't a crash. We don't have the crash so far of what happened in 2007, 2008. That was a very unique experience in what happened to the whole U.S., not just here in Miami. Yeah. Right now, I think the Miami problem, which is more like a national problem, really is the shortage of inventory. Right? Yeah. Do you, uh, do you by chance get the numbers from June about just the No, but I can get them stuff? for you. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to see if it's still as hot as a seller's market as earlier last year. Yeah, it's slowing down. It's slowing down. The numbers might still somewhat match because I, I think I was talking to you about this, how Miami's always on a delay. Oh, yeah. We seem to be in a very convenient delay all the time, right? (laughs) It always works in our favor somehow. Uh, So we might not see how much the market is changing this month, but I think it'll reflect more next quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for now, so so I think, mm, would you agree that uh, 
it's, it's still a appropriate time for the right buyers to go into the market, despite the fact that sellers still have upper hand. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's all about budget. That's what it boils down to. So if, stay with your budget. Don't stay with go your budget. Over it. Yeah. So if it fits your budget and it makes sense, mm -hmm. and you're going to pay the same or less than in renting, do it. And is there a still room for negotiation for buyers and renters? You know, uh, typically, I would say, typically, right, the last year, year and a half, I would be like, no, it's a hard no, there's no negotiating. <laughs> We're in that fine line where a lot of sellers um, have exaggerated, to not call them greedy, have exaggerated their sales price a little bit, mm -hmm. right? where now we have entered a potential new realm of, yes, maybe we can negotiate a little bit because they're just so far away from what it should be. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not all cases. So what I uh, typically recommend for my buyers is once we go look at property and they like something, I immediately run comparables. That's the first thing we do. Let's look at what the market shows us in the last three to six months. What has been happening? What are the price points? Have they been going down? Have they been going up? Are there any seller's contribution? And then that's how we act accordingly. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, even like I think we actually worked together just on my rental this time. And it was actually very quick kind of showing thing. Uh, but you're always very diligent in everything you do. Very responsive, very <laughs> uh, knowledgeable in everything you do. So, uh, yeah, listeners, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you if they want to work with you? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so if you're on Instagram, I am Miami Home Finder. Uh, TikTok is the same, Miami Home Finder. Uh, Facebook is my name, Jennifer Brow, as well as Jennifer Homes Realty. And then you can always feel free to call or text me because I'm always on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing your knowledge Thank and you. just your love for having people finding their home. Uh, yeah, especially I think it's really fitting that we're in cancer season. It's all about. Yeah. The, the family and the home uh, yeah so thank you listeners for uh, giving me a lovely home between your years today uh, I'm so grateful for your caring space uh, that you hold for me and this passion that means so dearly to me I'm rooting for you my friends uh, because we're all connected and we are the universe I'm Dayun your best year abroad I'm here to empower you to human better and belong authentically while living abroad because border is only supposed to be where our expansion begins and the bonds never end Make it a great week and I will see you in the next one. listening in. I hope this episode gave you some more insight on the home buying process. Please make sure to follow Better Call Jen the podcast or look for me on Instagram and TikTok under Miami Home Finder. Until next time.